Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Victorious Faith. All right, so we are in Romans 5. All right, Romans chapters 3 and 4, if you've been with us, in those chapters, Paul has explained this life-changing doctrine that we call justification by faith. And so if you've been with us, you know that the Apostle Paul has been teaching us that when a person comes to that point in their life, right, where they realize they're lost, how do you guys believe that you got to understand that you're lost before you can get saved, right? You, you got this? So important that you understand that. And by the way, that's a work of the Spirit, because a lot of people on this planet don't think they're lost. They think everything's hunky-dory, and they're just going to walk into God's presence someday if there's a God. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible says, God says, that the wages of sin is what? Death. Physical death. And spiritual death, our spirits can't die, so that means that we're separated from God forever. God doesn't want anybody to perish that way, right? And so here's the gospel, that God became a man, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He came to this planet, he clothed himself in human flesh, he went to a Roman cross, and he willingly died. Why would he die? Because the wages of sin is death. He died for you and me. He didn't die for his own sins. He died for your sins and my sins. He paid the penalty of death and wrath on our behalf. And then to prove that everything he ever said, everything that he ever did was true, he rose again the third day. Okay, so when a person comes to Christ believing that, believing that gospel, and by faith receives Christ as their Savior, that person is justified. That means that God declares that person righteous. That means that that person is acquitted. That person is vindicated. Acquitted, that means that all their sins have been acquitted. They're all washed away by the blood of the Lamb. They're vindicated, that means that they're cleared of all wrongdoing. Everything that they ever did wrong from the time that they were born to the time they took their last breath, vindicated, wiped clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. They, they are justified, that means just as if I never sinned, right? And if that's not good enough, God also clothes us in Christ's righteousness, all right, so it's not about us strutting into God's presence with our self-righteousness. No, that's not it at all. People are going to have a rude awakening if they try to strut into God's presence with their own self-righteousness. That's not going to do it at all. We've got to come to God through faith in his son Jesus, clothed in Christ's righteousness. And then God is our father, and he accepts us completely. That's some really good news. In fact, it's so good, I thought for sure somebody by now would have said, thank you, Jesus, or, or clapped, or did something to thank God for justification. Are you really happy about this? 
Everything is going to be okay in your life. Everything's going to be okay if you're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this doctrine of justification by faith, it's what separates true Christianity from man-made religion. Man-made religion, right, is all about trusting our works as a way to earn our way to heaven. But true Christianity is trusting in Christ and Christ's work alone as a way to receive the free gift of salvation. Do you see the difference between man-made religion and true Christianity? Man-made religion says do, do, do. And by the way, it smells like doo-doo, right? (laughs) Being just frank with you this morning. But justification by faith, hey, that smells like heaven. Because that's the truth. God doesn't want anything to do with man-made religion. He doesn't want anything to do with our self-righteousness. He wants us to come to the cross on our knees, humbly realizing that we're totally lost and we need Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And so the doctrine of justification by faith, hey, it's been taught in seminaries for hundreds of years. Great theological minds, much greater than mine, have considered this doctrine that has radically changed their lives. They've, they've written volumes and volumes and volumes of commentaries on justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Thank God for those men. Thank God for those commentaries. But don't misunderstand. Justification by faith, that doctrine, was never meant to be some kind of abstract theological doctrine that needs to be left in the seminary classroom. No, 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 just the opposite. The the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone, hey, that doctrine is very relevant for all people today. That doctrine is bursting with benefits for the believer in the here and now. Not just for, you know, seminary professors and pastors and theologians. No, for everybody who's God's child, you got to get this doctrine. And so one of my favorite commentators who does keep the cookies on the bottom shelf, Warren Wearsby, he said, our justification is not simply a guarantee of heaven. It is also the source of tremendous blessings that we enjoy. What's the last three words? Here and Now, and so because we have been justified by faith, we can now, in this life, be the recipients of these tremendous blessings. Because we have been justified by faith in Christ, right? In the here and now, in this life, we can receive these bountiful benefits that we're gonna look at here in just a moment in in verses one through five. Because we've been justified by faith, here's the thing, We've only just started to live. Last week we had 25, 30 people that came to Jesus Christ and received him as their Savior and Lord in all three services. Now, here's what I love. Here's what I love. They've only just begun to live. They're now recipients of God's amazing blessings through God's grace. And so what I want to do in this sermon is I want to Uh, show you guys five benefits of our justification by faith. I want to show you five practical benefits that will enable us to not have some kind of defeated faith, but will uh, help us to have a victorious faith, even when life gets hard. All right, so if you're looking at 
chapter five, verse one. Just say amen so I know you're there. Okay, here we go. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, you ask, what's that therefore? It's because of everything he taught in chapters three and four on justification by faith alone. Therefore, having been justified. Can I just have your attention just for a split second, not in the notes, but I just wanna make sure this is clear. Justification is not some kind of lifelong process where you have to go through this process and then maybe God will accept you, maybe he won't. No, it says having been in the past justified. Justification is an instantaneous, happens in a moment, act of God where he declares the sinner righteous through that sinner's faith in Jesus Christ. It's a one-time deal. Sometimes at the end of the services, most of the time, I'll give invitations. I'll ask those who are not sure where they stand with the Lord. Um, if you'd like to receive Christ by faith, uh, do you want to do that? And sometimes uh, what happens is that the same people who raised their hand last week raised it again this week. You've misunderstood. You don't continue to receive Jesus all through your life. Just to having been justified by faith, it's a one-time act. Now, sanctification is a lifelong process. We're gonna get to that in the letter in a little while. Justification, right, is being saved from the penalty of sin. That's once and for all. Sanctification is a process where we are being saved from the power of sin in our lives. Heaven and hell are on the line at justification. Heaven and hell is not on the line in sanctification. And I'm gonna explain all this as we continue to go in Romans, but just wanna point out in chapter five, verse one, having been justified by faith, we have, please underline the word, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And so the first benefit of our justification the first benefit that enables us not to have a defeated faith, but a victorious faith, it's the fact that we have peace with God. Now I have to correct a misunderstanding that is prevalent in our culture. And the misunderstanding has to do with who are God's children and who are not God's children. You see the misnomer out there Millions of people, they erroneously believe that everybody's a child of God, right? That all roads lead to heaven. You ever seen the, the bumper sticker, coexist, right? So no matter, no matter what religion you ascribe to, eventually all roads lead to God. Everybody is a child of God. Now, while I agree that God is the creator of all human beings, and while I agree that all human beings have the image of God, we're all made in the image of God, I agree with that. What I disagree with is that everybody's a child of God. Everybody is not a child of God. What does John chapter 1 verse 12 say? We, we, we ended the sermon last week with John 1 12. Here it is. As many as received Christ... To them he gave the right to be children of God, even those who believe on his name. You cannot get to God any other way except through Jesus Christ. Now I know that's not politically correct. 
I understand the fact that what I'm saying is rejected by the vast majority of the world because the vast majority of the world has this idea that we're all going to join hands no matter what religion we ascribe to and we're all going to walk off into the sunset of eternity together and it's a deception from the enemy because at the end of that mountain is a cliff that leads to hell. You cannot, you will not, ever get to God outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. Period. Period. It's him and him alone. And if you decide to reject Jesus for Islam, if you decide to reject Jesus for Hinduism or Buddhism or whatever ism is out there, there's hundreds of them, then what you're saying to God the Father is, I don't need your son and you're dishonoring his son. Now, some, some people don't like that. Okay, fine. Keep trying to conform God to your image. You see how that works out. You can either try to conform God to your image, or you can humbly conform yourself to God's image and God's revealed word. And so, hey, not everybody's a child of God. Only those who come by faith to God through Christ. You say, what if I don't do that? Okay, John has another verse for you. John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, is that complicated, I ask you? Pretty simple, right? He who believes in the Son has life. He who does not believe the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on that person. The truth of the matter is, in our BC days, we were at war with God. Enemies. Pastor Chuck Smith uh, put it this way uh, before he went to be with the Lord. He said, before we came to Christ, we were at war with God. Feeling that his laws were too restrictive, we rebelled against him. Satan blinded us to the fact that our sin was destroying us and instead made sin seem attractive. And we believed his lies. So we fought against God, not realizing that he was trying to what? See, it's not God's will that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance in Christ. And so do you remember your BC days? Um, don't, don't raise your hand, but, but, but I know that some of you were, were saved when you're like five or six years old. So it's, it's probably kind of hard for you to relate to what Pastor Chuck is talking about, what Paul's talking about, because your rebellion at five years old in your BC days was probably like pushing your brother or something. I don't know, right? But for those of us who came to Christ later in life, do you remember when you fought against God? Uh, let me, um, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. Let me kind of remind you. <laughs> That when you, in those days, when you were tempted by sin, there was a warning light inside of you. God gives it to everybody. It's called your conscience. And so you're tempted by sin. Your conscience is saying, don't do it, don't do it. And what do we always do in those BC days? Because we didn't have any power of God to help us resist sin. Jumped right into it, both feet. We gave into our sin. And then that little warning of the conscience causing us to feel guilt. By the way, nothing wrong with that. That's from God. I understand there's false guilt. 
Okay, that's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about true guilt for true sin, right? But, but what did a lot of people do? They, they, they suppressed, Romans 1, they suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, and then they were tempted by sin again. They did the same thing again and again and again. Tempted by sin, warning, warning, don't do it. Give in to your sin, feel guilty, suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's, that's what people at war with God do. Right, and so the problem in our BC days is that we thought we were in charge of our own lives. The problem in our BC days is that we thought we were in control. No, you weren't in control. You were slaves of sin, Romans chapter six. We'll get there later. The problem in our BC days is we, we really thought the three most important people on the planet Right, you remember this? Me, myself, and I. And so I'm the center of the universe and everybody revolves around me. That's the way we felt. We were at war with God in those days. And so the, the thought in many people's lives, again, in their BC days, because I believe that there's a distinct difference between before Christ and after Christ. It's called 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a, New creation, the old is gone, the new has come, right? But in our BC days, our attitude was, hey, if I wanna party, I'm gonna party. Don't put your moral trip on me. If I wanna have sex outside of marriage, I'm gonna have sex outside of marriage. I don't wanna hear your guilt trip. If I wanna look at pornography, who cares? It's nobody's business. I'm just doing this for myself, if I want to do these things, don't tell me what to do. If I want to be rude or unkind to somebody, just get over it. Grow some thick skin. It's the way God made me. I just speak my mind. Right? That's how so many people were in their BC days. Don't talk to me about God. I don't want to hear it. And so that was our attitude. I want to regroup here and ask you a question, okay? this time I do want you to raise your hands. How many of you guys really truly believe in your head and your heart that the Lord God of the Bible, Yahweh, that he has rightful claim over all his creation? If you believe that, raise your hand. He has rightful claim over all creation. Okay, you can put your hands down. How many of you believe with your head and your heart that you are part of that creation? Let me see your hand. Okay, some of you are wondering, should I raise my hand? Okay, I'm gonna help you out. Psalm 139 says that you were knit together in your mother's womb by God. You did not create yourself. God created you. It's amazing, me, the, amazing to me the arrogance of man strutting around as if he created himself. You didn't create yourself, God created you. Now listen, if God created you, that means God owns you. He owns you. And if God owns you, then he has every right in the world to tell you what to do. If God really owns you, then he has every right in the world to tell you, I want you to turn right now in this part of your life, and now in this part, I want you to turn left. Here, I want you to accelerate. Over here, I want you to stop. God can do that, he's God. Right, and, and nobody can disagree with me on this. Here's why. How many, how many of you guys um, own a car? You see your hand if you own a car. 
okay? So you're owners of that car. So here's what you expect that car to do. When you start it, you expect it to actually start. When you press the accelerator, you, act, you expect that car to move forward. When you're pressing on the accelerator and it's not moving, there's a problem. Right? As you're moving, if you want to turn right, you expect the car to go right. Left, you expect the car to go left. As you're approaching a stoplight, you expect when you put on the brake for that thing to stop. You're the owner. You expect that to happen. Okay? So what are you going to do if you get into your car on your way home today and you start it up, put it in drive, and you hit the accelerator and it doesn't move? What are you going to do if you try to go out here on, on the road out here and you try to turn right and all of a sudden that thing lurches left? I know some of you, you're going to be like crying out to Jesus, rebuking demons and all that stuff because your car is going left and you're trying to go right. What are you going to do as you're, as you're approaching a stoplight and you're trying to stop, but the thing speeds up? Here's what I know. As the owner, you're going to be very frustrated because that which you own is not doing what you want. It's the same thing with our relationship with God. Ladies and gentlemen, he owns us. We're not supposed to be doing our own thing. We're supposed to be doing God's thing. And by the way, Father knows best. He has a wonderful plan for your life. If you'll begin to turn right when he tells you to go right and left when he tells you to go left, things will be so much better in your life. And so, hey, the good news of verse 1 is that most of you here today have been justified by faith in Christ alone. Therefore, you have peace with God. That means the war is ended between you and God. That means that God is no longer your enemy. God is your father. That means you're learning through this whole sanctification process, which we'll get to later in the book of Romans, you're learning more and more when he says right, go right. When he says left, go left. You're learning that. That means that you never have, this is my favorite point of all, because verse one is true, listen, you never have to worry about the wrath of God. Ever read Revelation 19 and 20? It's good to go over there every once in a while and read it and find out where, listen, sadly, vast of the majority of the world is gonna one day stand at the great white throne judgment and because they rejected Christ and rejected the only way for their sins to be forgiven, listen, it's not allegorical, it's not figurative, they will be cast into a lake of fire. Is that God's will, by the way? No. God is not willing that any should perish. But there's two types of people, as C.S. Lewis says. Those in the end who say, Father, your will be done. And those in the end to whom the Father says, your will be done. Okay, but here's the thing. If verse 1 is true in your life, that means you have peace with God. You've been justified by faith, and that's such good news. It's better news, you know, than if you're terminally ill with cancer, and then all of a sudden, after a miracle of God, you hear a doctor say, the cancer's gone. That's good news, right? But the fact that Jesus Christ would stand and say, you're not my enemy, you're my friend. I'm at peace with you. That's even better news. 
One's for time, the other's for eternity. So, I know before I move on to verse two that some of you are thinking, all right, Pastor Mike, I've got it down. I understand what justification by faith means. I've received Christ by faith. He's my only hope of salvation, all right? I know it says in verse one that I'm supposed to have peace with God. Okay, I believe that by faith, but here's what you need to know. Pastor Mike, my life is anything but peaceful. My life is filled with turmoil. The attacks seem to come every week, if not every month, right? There's always this difficulty. There's always these mean people. There's always these criticisms. There's always this junk. It feels like there's a war going on in my life, okay? So what's going on? I would say to you, of course there's a war going on in your life. Here's why. Because when you made peace with God, you immediately gained three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And by the way, I'd rather be at war with the devil than God any day of the week. Right? And so there is this personal being called the devil or Satan. He's alive and well on planet Earth. The Bible says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We actually live on a rebel planet. Jesus is coming back someday to fix all that. But while we are living and breathing on this rebel planet, we will always have problems with the world and the flesh and the devil. But hey, 1 John 4, 4 is still true. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God is great. He's more powerful. The enemy is like a flea. Right now, if the enemy hears me saying that, he's so enraged because this guy is like an egomaniac genius, but he's so twisted. He's so twisted. But here's the truth. Compared to Yahweh God, he's a flea. So here's what you got to do. Stick close to your big brother, Jesus. Don't live far away from Jesus. What are you doing? (laughs) Get close up to Jesus. Walk close with the Lord. And then your big brother will always have your back. All right, look at verse 2. We have peace with God. That's good news. Verse 2, through whom, through Jesus, also, we have, underline the word, access by faith into this grace That means unmerited favor. So we have access through Jesus by faith into this grace in which we stand. The second benefit of our justification, the second benefit that will help us not have a defeated faith but a victorious faith is access to grace. That word access has the idea of someone entering into the chamber or throne room of a king. Okay, and so imagine right now in your mind's eye some ancient monarch, some great ancient monarch who is over a vast kingdom, who has all this power and all this glory. And imagine that this great ancient monarch, because most of them did, had the power Um, of life and death over the subjects in his kingdom. And imagine, okay, can you see that in in your mind? Here's this great, powerful king over this vast domain sitting on his throne. If somebody, an enemy of his, decides to 
run past the guards and go into his presence, he has the power to say, you know, off with this guy's head. Okay, now that you have that picture in your mind, I'm gonna ask you a question. What would happen if that great monarch, that king, what would happen if his kids came running past the guards into his presence? Listen, his kids would not get the death penalty. His kids would probably, because he's a benevolent king, get a a great big hug, right? Not the death penalty, but a great big hug. Now, every illustration breaks down at some point, okay? But but here's my point. It's the same thing with us. God is a great monarch. He's a great king. Now, thank God he's a good, benevolent king. But here's what you need to know. That he, through our faith in Christ, has lavished upon us grace. Unmerited favor. That means that you, if you know Jesus, are a favored child of God. Not everybody's favored. You say, that's not fair. Take it up with God. Everybody say, I'm favored. Okay, that's the truth if you know Jesus. And so, hey, you don't have to, you know, tiptoe into the throne room of the king, cowering and being afraid that he's going to condemn you. No, you're his child. You're a king's kid. You're a kingdom kid. What do kingdom kids do? Here's what I'm going to do someday up in heaven. I'm going to run past those angels, and I'm going to run right up to the throne of God. And you, you say, Pastor Mike, that's, man, that's so presumptuous. That's audacious. No, no, here's what I know. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So I can run right up to the eternal, uncreated God, and I'm not going to hear off with his head. I'm going to get a, bra- a great big hug. Because I'm so good? No, because Jesus' blood prevails. Right? And so it's the same with you. As a favored child of God by grace, it has nothing to do with what you've done. It's unmerited. And Paul's going to hammer it and hammer it and hammer it all the way through Romans because we're so thick-headed. Right? But because of Christ and Christ alone, we can run past the angels into the presence of God And we can get an absolute awesome hug from the Lord. He's not our dreadful sovereign. He's our Abba Father. I love what David Guzik says. Check this out. If you guys are new to Calvary, he's a Calvary Chapel pastor in San Diego, California. A former leader of our Bible college in Germany. We have lots of Bible colleges around the world. And in his commentary, he said, God's present attitude towards the believer in Christ Jesus is one of favor. Seeing them in terms of joy and beauty and pleasure. He doesn't just love us. He likes us because we're in Jesus. Isn't that good news? God doesn't just love you if you know Christ. He likes you. The same way you love and like your your little kids when they were growing up. In, in your house, and that's why the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.16, hey, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And so, before I move on to the second half of verse two, let me just say that this doctrine of justification by faith 
it changes everything. Changes our relationship with God, right? We don't have to be scared of God that he's gonna condemn us. When it comes to our relationship with God, we can be absolutely carefree, like a little toddler on his daddy's knee. That's how God views us. Carefree, he loves us, he likes us. When it comes to our relationship with ourselves, we don't have to condemn ourselves. Why? Romans 8.1, there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When it comes to relationships with other people, right, especially those critics, those who have these unrealistic expectations for our lives, those who are pulling us in all different directions, right? You ever, ha- you ever heard this? God loves you and everyone else has a wonderful plan for your life. Okay, now here's the truth. God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. So you know what you do with all those people who have unrealistic expectations and are always criticizing you? Here's what you do. You tune them out and you tune in to your father because hey, all that matters at the end of your life is what he thinks, right? It changes everything. And now look at the second half of verse two. And so we have access by faith, right, into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in, please underline the word, hope of the glory of God. So your third benefit of being justified by faith is hope for future glory. Future glory, that that phrase at the end of verse two, glory of God, It's speaking of the coming kingdom of God when the will of God is absolutely done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it refers, as I was saying last week, to when Jesus comes back, right, to this rebel planet, cast the enemy into the bottomless pit. And what is Jesus gonna do? He's gonna renovate this world. He's gonna make all things new. Adam and Eve lived in paradise. We're gonna get back what Adam lost paradise in this world. Adam and Eve lost the garden. We're gonna get back what Adam and Eve lost. This whole world is gonna be a a garden, a kingdom of the king, okay? And so the glory of God is speaking about that future glory in the kingdom. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, another author that I love, says glory refers to the state of things as God desires them, okay? Good triumphs over evil, I can't wait till that happens, by the way. Is it just me, or are you like sick of watching the news? Ugh, crazy. Good triumphs over evil. Justice prevails. Sin has no place. Everything exists in harmony with his holy character. And so if, if, if you've received Christ by faith as your Savior and Lord. The Bible says you're a joint heir of that coming kingdom, that coming glory of God. You're gonna be a participant in the glory of God. And that's not hope so, that's gonna happen. It's an established fact. What you gotta understand is that word hope there in the end of verse two, that word hope in English, right, we think hope, hope so hope, wishful thinking. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. Let's cross our fingers and really hope that this is gonna happen. Listen, that's not the idea in the original language at all. When you go back and do a Greek word study of that word hope, it's sure hope. 
It's an established fact. That means that Jesus, not maybe he'll come back, Jesus will return, he will renovate the whole world. Not only that, when he comes back, he's not just gonna renovate the world, he's gonna renovate you and me. 1 John 3, 2 and 3, beloved, now we are the children of God, and it does not appear yet what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we'll see him as he is, and listen to this, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as Jesus is pure, and so one day, Right When we're kind of walking through life, we're not really expecting it. One day, all of a sudden, we will be absolutely snatched up, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll meet the Lord in the air. And when that happens, when we see him, we're going to become like him. That means it's not going to be this body anymore. It's going to be a renovated, eternal awesome body. He's not renovating just the world. He's not just making the world into paradise, into a garden. He's making you and I into these eternal creatures that'll never get sick, will never get tired, and will reign with him forever in his kingdom. It's good news. It's great news. And so, let's get real practical for the here and now. Verse three. And not only that, okay, not just heaven, verse three, but we also glory in what? <laughs> what? We glory in tribulations. That means trials, in case you were wondering, troubles, difficulties, sickness, disease, job loss, financial downturns, broken cars, Right, on and on and on and on. Okay, did I, did I read that right? Okay, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing, okay, knowing. If you're, ladies and gentlemen, can I just look at me for a second? If you're not in this book every day, you're not gonna know. You're not gonna know. No wonder you're all mad at God. No wonder you're so upset. No wonder you're freaking out in your tribulations. You've got to, Romans 12, 1 and 2, renew your mind in the scriptures every day. Okay, so go back to it. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces what? Perseverance. And perseverance produces what? That's proven character in the Greek. And character produces what? Hope. That's hope for the present trials of life. Now, I know when the average reader reads that, their thought is, if they're really honest, how in the world can Paul say that we're gonna glory, we're gonna rejoice, we're gonna exalt in our tribulations and trials of life? I don't know about you, somebody would say, but my experience is that the trials of life irritate me. My experience, the trials of life frustrate me. My experience is that the trials of life make me doubt God's love for my life. How can Paul say we rejoice, right, in our tribulations? Well, here's how. He didn't say we rejoice for our tribulations. See the subtle difference there? We're not masochists. Bring on the pain, I love pain. 
I enjoy difficult times. I'm going through a trial. Woo! No, no, no. You don't rejoice for your trial. You rejoice in your trial. How in the world can you do that? Well, look at it again. We can glory in tribulations. Here it is. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, and character, hope. All right. So I want you to get this. So if you're with me, say amen. Okay. When you know that God is working on your behalf through your troubles and tribulations and trials, when you know, because you've been in his word, that God is using those difficulties to build perseverance in your life so you can keep going to the finish line, when you know that God is using those difficulties in your life to produce proven character in your life, when you know that God is using those trials and tribulations to conform you into the image of Christ, then you can actually rejoice in your tribulation. And so again, ladies and gentlemen, in case you didn't hear me the first time, we're talking about sickness. We're talking about job loss. We're talking about financial hardship. We're talking about relational strain. We're talking about persecution. We're talking about the loss of a loved one. It's hard. Yes, it's hard. You say it's painful. Yes, it's painful. But God says as, your ki- as his kids, you can actually rejoice in those things. Okay, so follow me here. When you know I've been justified by faith, I have peace with God. I'm a kingdom kid. Therefore, nothing happens to me, only things happen for me. God's working on my behalf. I'm a kingdom kid. Therefore, I know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. I'm a kingdom kid, that therefore I know that nothing can happen in my life unless it first passes through a nail-scarred hand. I know God is sovereign. I know he's my daddy, my Abba Father, and so he uses all these difficulties in life not to break me down or hurt me. He does it to build me up, to make me more like Jesus. And guess what? We don't know best. Father knows best. We just got to trust him. We got to lean into him. Charles Spurgeon said this, ask many who have buried a loved one or have lost their wealth or have suffered pain of body and they will tell you that the natural result of affliction is to produce irritation against providence, rebellion against God, questioning, unbelief, petulance, and all sorts of evils. But what a wonderful alteration takes place when the heart is renewed by the Holy Spirit. Can I just, as as your pastor, lovingly warn you right here. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know that God is using your difficulty to make you like Christ, to do a work in your life, if you don't know that, you're gonna get bitter. You're not gonna get better. And you know what happens? People go through all these trials and they get upset and they get irritated and they get frustrated, right? And they're crying and they're screaming and a loving father's right here. Now, is he gonna yell or rebuke his little two-year-old child, three-year-old child, four-year-old child? That's not the God I know. 
He loves us. We've already established that. He's our daddy. We've already established that. And so when we're freaking out and we're stomping our feet, here's what he's doing. Son, daughter, I love you. I'm in control. It's going to be okay. My will will be done. But because we're, ah, we don't experience verse 5, which is the love of God being poured out into our hearts. Because we're, ah, right, we're not experiencing what Charles Spurgeon said, a renewal by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so look at verse 5. He says, now hope does not disappoint because the, underline the word, love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The fifth and final benefit of our justification by faith. It's God's love experienced. God's love experienced. You see, while we're going through these painful trials, if we would just surrender, if we would just remain humble, right? If we would just remain prayerful, if we would just trust. You know, someone said, I can't trace his hand. I can trust his heart. His heart is good. Okay, when that's our attitude, guess what happens? God pours the love he has for us into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. You see how Paul goes from object, um, objective truth now to subjective experience. That can be your experience. If you'll just have that heart of a little child who trusts his daddy, her daddy, and then, guess what? That love being poured out in your heart, that'll get you through any trial. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.